0: Hello! Welcome to the
1: Two Coffee Teaching Podcast. I'm Josh. And I'm Alex, and good morning, hello. Uh, we are two young educators who really want to contribute to our field. So this is a podcast where we're talking about education, we're talking about relevant content that we really want to apply to our classroom. So ultimately, it's our hope that this is a podcast that can encourage students without, or excuse me, encourage
0: educators without needing that second cup of coffee. We also want to encourage students, too, if they're yes, tuning we in. We can sure do that. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Uh, If you're a regular subscriber, thanks for uh, catching up this week with us. So if you're new, thanks for joining us, listening, being a part of what we're doing here on the podcast.
1: Uh, For today's main topic, we're going to be taking on the uh, subject of textbooks. So uh, how they affect teaching. Are they good for education or are they maybe a little bit problematic? Uh, what are some of the pros and cons to maybe utilizing a textbook in our classroom? There are def- a couple of different conversations we can have.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of different directions we can go with this, so I'm excited for today's episode.
1: I agree as well, but before we do that, we're going to have a little mini segment. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, job hunting tips. So here we are in mid-April, and uh, this is definitely job hunting time for uh, many of our new teachers that are coming out of uh, their master's programs. Or even if
0: you're moving externally, you're moving out of your your system. I mean, it's an exciting time of year. You're right. Um, I mean, normally when I say it's the most exciting time of the year, I'm thinking of Christmas. This isn't really Christmas. But it is exciting in that, like, we have an opportunity to be employed or change employment and move into a new school or a new district or maybe your first
1: uh, position. Yeah, I, I would agree that it's definitely a stressful time. It can bring... Uh, maybe a little bit of uh, anxiousness into your life, especially if you are transferring schools, maybe you're uh, transferring
0: districts. Sure. Or maybe
1: you're just packing your bags and moving across the country.
0: I, you know, I have friends who do that. I have friends who do that. I know people out in uh, New Mexico. I know people out in California who are doing that now, who just picked up, moved out there, and started teaching. So it can be done, and people do it. So what are we, what are we
1: thinking uh, – is the one of the best ways to kind of go about the job hunt in terms of looking for uh, a new teaching
0: position. Okay. I mean, as far as the looking for part, you need to find something that you feel works for you. That's my, my tip as far as, like, location, all right? Especially if it's your first, you know, go somewhere you may be comfortable. If you want an adventure, go out and be adventurous. But find something that works for you. Uh, I know sometimes, especially in not critical needs areas, you may feel like you need to compromise to get a position. Uh, but I heard someone say really, really wisely during a um, during a seminar I was at that you got to be happy with yourself and content with yourself before you go into the classroom. Right. So you you feel satisfied and content before you can go and serve others in the classroom. You know what I mean? I agree. Yeah. So
1: that self-fulfilling. Yeah. uh, Prophecy.
0: Well, being self-fulfilled outside of school as well. You know what I mean? So when you're looking for a first place or you're moving uh, to a new position, make sure, you know, as best as you can uh, to feel fulfilled outside of school as well. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's the first thing when you're looking for. A job that was—that's my big tip off the front.
1: I would agree with that too. So, what I would think about, especially when looking at places, you obviously want to choose districts, geographic areas that you would feel comfortable in. I think it's important that you, in order for you to be successful as a teacher, you have to be um, looking forward to being in the environment that you are in. Sure, sure. Now, with that being said, sometimes I feel that. Uh, both veteran teachers and new teachers make the mistake of uh, choosing a school district or looking for a job again based on the geographic region and or not necessarily anything like that exactly yeah. not necessarily the fit of the school yes there are, there are for example you have things that we've talked about all uh, the past six seven months on our podcast what is the school's behavior management policy right. what is um, is it a block schedule? Is it a four by four? Is it a daily schedule? Right. Uh, what's the staff dynamic like? Right. Uh, how are the kids? What kind of clubs or extracurricular activities? What kind activities? of demographic are you dealing with? Yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. And and that's a big thing for principals, right? You know, I think it's on the side of the person being interviewed. We feel like we need to project a certain aura or confidence or uh, proficiency, right? Mm-hmm. The reality is is that those principals and those HR people have a job their job is they need to find someone that fits in their building right they have a job opening and they need to fill it with someone who they feel fits best so a lot of people and I've heard several people in the past who are immensely qualified positions uh, may not have gotten one simply because of fit not that they wouldn't do their job well right but someone who just didn't maybe fit the culture or fits the position they need or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, obviously there are teachers that maybe are
1: slightly more talented than another in terms of bringing in a different dynamic of methods or a teaching style. Uh, and I think art, the skills vary within the classroom. But the, part, the bigger part or another part of being a teacher uh, is how do you interact with the students? Uh, what can you bring to the community of that school? Mm-hmm, That's sure. that something that... Maybe some teachers also vary on, and that, and maybe for some principals and some uh, HR representatives, that could be even a priority, uh, depending on what the situation is going on at the school.
0: Yeah, now, in the application process, right, maybe you're a new teacher, you're on your way out, you're starting to apply, and you're thinking, "Oh my gosh, I'm going to apply to a dozen districts that I, that I like or a dozen schools all right here's my tip for you. I know it's a lot, but you have to make every cover letter, you have to make every resume, you have to make every application specific to the school or district you are applying to. This is huge because if someone like a principal or an HR rep is sifting through hundreds of things, right, but your resume specifically says as an objective to get a full-time position in blank county, okay, that's going to be to your benefit. Mm-hmm. right if i you know if you if you says i would like just want to get a position they're like okay good they want to seek a position but if my job is that i want to seek a position in smith county like oh well he's really excited about smith county maybe i can talk to him about oh, that yeah. right you know what i mean so you have to i mean it's so easy to just be like well copy paste that's kind of all the same stuff and go that they'll love that you know no, no, no you got it's got to be specifically catered to each county yeah
1: and I, it's pretty fun that you mentioned that it's a very detail oriented uh task too i remember hearing stories of people that i uh, have the same cover letter but they don't f- remember to change the county name so oh. if you're so if you're applying to smith county and then you hand them a johnson uh that smith county resume to maybe johnson county uh, that might they're like uh, oh no he's done because to them
0: they may not know the context but to them it looks like it looks careless right they're like and if they're if they've got 400 people that apply for 10 jobs they're like well that's one less person i need to worry about they're looking for an excuse to have less people to worry about when they get these big candidate pools
1: yeah so what another way to look at? What are some good ways to maybe look at different schools? Do you just go on the internet? Maybe do you go to a job fair?
0: Sure. Do you go visit certain schools and principals? I mean, I you know I think there's I think there's a couple different approaches, right? There are some people, um, and I know a few of my peers who, uh, as part of their education, they knew exactly where they wanted to be following their career. In school after they get their degree they know exactly where they want to go teach in that case it's important to network to know kind of have an idea of what those schools are like and know those principles right I know other people I know like more like you and I in our job hunting process are more open right so for us that's more about getting an idea as much as we can about the county that may be job fairs where you introduce yourself to someone from that county Right. If someone, you know, if you're a local in that area, that may like be to your benefit to go to a job fair and introduce yourself. But you might have connections there already. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, So casting a wide net, but intentionally, that's a big word I use intentionally casting your net widely, Um, not just random and broad, but intentionally in different places.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think that that's definitely important as well. I also think that when you are when you are having, when you are casting your net and you are having those discussions with those different representatives or those different uh, principals as well, it's important that you really sell yourself. Uh, you sell mm. why you want to work in that school, why you want to work in that district, what quality attributes you can bring. Uh, both into the classroom and into the community as well. And I think that will put you in the best position uh, to garner a little bit of interest from those people that are
0: uh, facilitating that hiring. Right. And, you know, remember, it, their job is to find someone that they think fits as much as they want to hear about you, right? You need to sell yourself, right? Have the bullet points that make you hireable and distinct and different and run with those, Um yeah, I mean, they're, they they want to consider a lot of people, but they're looking for an excuse to not have to consider you, you know, oh, when absolutely. it comes down to the process, you know what I mean? Well, for all
1: those job seekers that are listening out there, uh, best of luck as you move forward in the next couple of months. Uh, we're excited to hear where you might end up, too, so feel free to chime in on our Twitter or leave us a voicemail. We'll talk about those specific handles a little bit later in the show, but uh, we'd love to hear from you and see how that process Yeah, or even if
0: there's like a job fair that you feel like people from the community could benefit from, hit us up, post on social media, uh, and maybe we can all rally and go together. That would be really cool. At this point, let's go
1: ahead and transition to our, our main conversation for today, which is going to be about textbooks. Mm. Josh, what are your thoughts on
0: textbooks? i tell you what, man. The first thing I remember about textbooks is from my fifth grade social studies class. And I remember heaving this giant book from a bookshelf back to my table and looking at it and just being like, "Ah, oh, it's just... Because I didn't love to read, you know, Like fifth, fifth grade. I do now. I love to read now. But, you know, I just like hugging this big old book back to my desk, and it's got pictures in it, like, pic, you know, that I like to look at pictures when I was in fifth grade. But, you know, just like lots of text and words and... Dude, it just it, it feels like it has such a heavy negative connotation in the textbook.
1: Well, I think we've been—we've been looking at textbooks in uh, there. There are a couple of different ways, right? There's the college textbook, and I think uh, there, there are different perceptions on what a college textbook is. But focusing on K through 12 schooling, okay? Uh, usually, when we think of a textbook, whether it be social studies, I think that's uh, the most popular. Not trying to be biased, but We just tend to see uh, the textbook presence to be greater in the field of social studies. I've seen a lot in math as well. Well, yeah, that's what I was getting at, too, was that I would say social studies and math are the two biggest ones because with language arts or English, obviously, you're kind of looking at a variety of different readings Mm -hmm. or uh, types of writings. Sure, it may vary. And then with science, you could see textbooks depending on uh, what subject you're taking specifically Uh, But but since those since those curriculums are usually uh, pretty wide ranging, I feel like it would be a little bit more difficult to uh, write a textbook that's very similar to a curriculum that maybe
0: a school district's implementing. Yeah, and I would say in my experience as well, I've I've seen textbooks in all of those disciplines, but I think I've seen them used mostly in social studies and math, uh, predominantly. I agree too. So, uh, quick question:
1: Yes or no? Uh, Are you a fan of? The use of textbooks in classrooms.
0: Textbooks isn't a yes or no. I don't. Uh, mm, okay, so let me let me phrase it this way. Am I a fan of using textbooks in the classroom as a teaching tool? Yes. Am I a fan of using the textbooks in class? No. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I'm on the as same a page tool, too. not a, not like in the class. And, I've, and I, and I, you know, I have an idea of why I believe that, but I don't know about you. What, what is your? What so is your I, on the I agree part? with
1: you that it is a tool, it is a resource for both the teacher and for these students. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it should not be the class. And this is something that, especially in social studies, now that uh, with the with the um, with the presence of Common Core and uh, the focus on language arts, math, science, technology, uh, it seems as though social studies is maybe. Uh, being pushed to the curb a little bit. That's an argument that we can maybe get into in a later episode. But Mm -hmm. uh, with that being said, uh, the the textbook, a problem that a lot of teachers run into, especially new teachers or teachers that maybe uh, have to uh, pick up a new prep uh, for a class where they're not necessarily familiar with or say uh, maybe they're a teacher that or they're an educator who was hired to that uh, school maybe primarily for coaching responsibilities. Sure, okay. And then yeah. they are obviously have to pick up a class where yeah, maybe happens. they're not familiar with. Right. Uh, you're going to rely on the textbook because that is your primary source uh, of content. But the problem is that uh, with a lot of textbooks, they present content as maybe like unchanging.
0: Hmm. What or do you as, mean by unchanging? So
1: what i when I think like for example with uh, maybe a history one. Okay. okay. So. Uh, a lot of these textbooks are chronological, okay? Say we're looking at a United States history textbook. It's it's going to tell, the textbook itself is going to tell uh, or present the history, present the content uh, from when uh, Jamestown was established back in 1607 or to Columbus or, or, or whatever or yeah. and move on forward, okay? Uh, but there is, but the problem is that as time passes and as we people learn more about um, the our past and we uh, and more events happen today uh, our understanding and our interpretation of the past I mm-hmm. think it evolves a little bit okay but that doesn't change with textbooks It's a
0: very stagnant source yeah like you, yeah it's, it's not very changing evolving typically typically yeah and because
1: it's uh, because it's a survey because the textbooks were in a survey uh, they don't really have any semblance. Or maybe an argument that okay, they present, sure. so they don't really accurately reflect how a lot of historical thinkers or uh, star, uh, scholars or good it's scholars the, it's the staunch like write facts. facts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that, that's my. I think that's one of my main problems within. I think students are also able to pick up on this because yeah. there's no there's no excitement. There's no fluff. It's just very black and white.
0: Yeah, and, you know, like, kind of what you were saying about that, about it being fact-based, right? It is, they tend to be very factual, um, but even in that regard, in my experience sometimes, especially in teaching, the textbook doesn't take into account a lot of students' prior knowledge. No, they don't. You know what I mean? Like, if if you're teaching government, right?, they're going to explain the Bill of Rights in detail, even though I feel like that's something a lot of students are, like, kind of familiar with. Even if they can't tell you all ten, they can kind of tell you briefly about that. You know what I mean? Sure. So, you know, depending on the level, I think sometimes it doesn't take into account students' prior knowledge. And especially if it's outdated, too, right? The standards may have changed, which happens a lot, right, and may not... Be an accurate reflection of the course. Um, now you know. In, in their defense, right? If you ever looked at the teacher's edition of a textbook, oh, for those sure. Those things are those things are awesome, though. I gotta tell you because it's the it's, it's the textbook itself, right? But then in the margins, it has like tips, quest, great questions to bring up. Uh, my favorite ways to differentiate that material two oh, different needs, sure. right? So in that regard, that's a really great tool for looking at the content and saying how can I make this content and how can I use it in the classroom. I think that that part in particular is good. It runs into problems though when those tips or margin details only works for that text. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Cuz then I don't get to use it as a tool so much. I have to use it in conjunction with the textbook and might have to get have my students read something before I can utilize those teaching skills yeah
1: and I agree and I think teachers also start to run into problems with the textbook when it comes to creating their assessments right especially mm-hmm. if they are teaching their class primarily with the textbook because then uh, the the examinations and the ways that we assess our students becomes very a low level of blooms where it's just remembering Uh and uh, ability to memorize different facts, um, not necessarily what the students actually learned or uh, assessing, like, their skills or Mm -hmm. their ability to interpret things that happened, too.
0: I think think one thing to kind of mention about that and, like, interpreting is that sometimes... I know particularly in math, right? I don't, I, I don't know what your full experience in education has been with the math discipline. But in, in a chapter where it's teaching you a skill, um, sometimes when I was a kid, I I or my friend and I would be able to do math in a different way. Sure, you know what I mean? Sure. Like, like uh, you know, if we were doing add and subtracting and were t- the teacher was teaching us how to do this one way based on maybe the textbook or the text from that and the content... But I say, oh, but I know how to do it this way. I don't want the textbook to limit my thinking, right, as the textbook being the ultimate authority, right? So sure. I want, as possible, I want to move it to a higher point. It's, it provides a great base, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It provides a great, great base, but if my students want to do a problem differently or if I want to look at things with, through a different interpretation, like you were saying, I feel like... It presents itself as the Bible on that work, you know, absolute truth. You know what I mean? Like, sure. there's no going anywhere from here. I don't know. So, I, that part, too, it, I think what I'm mostly getting at here, Alex, is that it has great material, but it limits itself. And we can't, and I would love to use the textbook often. But I can't allow it to limit my teaching. Does no, that make sense? And I agree with
1: that too. But we also can say that we, as teachers, we want our students to be reading in our classes. Sure. And the textbook is such a great way to use, to offer that
0: reading. They're typically on and, the reading level too, right? Yeah. Uh, you I mean, know, yeah.
1: the readability always matches up with uh, the general, like the median uh, student reading level, which is good. They're easy to uh, understand. You don't have the uh, crazy vocabulary that is outside of that
0: student's grasp. Well, yeah. well, if usually, if it's a if it's a bold word, they might have it available, right, to explain and that. Like that will supplement. You know, anyone who studies literacy will tell you that how helpful that is. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. So knowing that the it, knowing that how um, how well uh, written these textbooks are, it, it is almost a shame that uh, that there's so many different problems with them, and we don't want to. Uh, overuse it so maybe to try and create that balance where we're able to have our students uh, consistently read and uh, find different um, find different uh, artifacts or elements to incorporate where our students can read but also learn material Uh, how can we maybe diversify our classrooms a little bit so that we're still uh, allowing our students to learn content through text but mm-hmm. not relying on a textbook
0: I mean I think there I think there's a lot of different directions that you can go with it a lot of textbooks also do a good job of providing diagrams or flowcharts or images or things like that that you can use to supplement the reading uh, focusing some attention on that uh, would be would be to your benefits you know sometimes they use a very visual approach which is which is very helpful along with the reading Um, I think um, you know especially in a in a um, in a text that has a lot of different topics um, using a jigsaw with students can be really helpful in like breaking up the content especially if it's a lot and it, it can be tedious you know and like you know having different groups present and teach each other on the different topics. It doesn't have to be whole chapters, but it can be like, hey, over here, um, you know, this page and a half is on this topic. You're going to teach the class on this. You know what I mean? You know, it doesn't have to be a full chapter either. Uh, It can be that simple. Sure.
1: I agree, too. And I think another way that we can do this is just bring in a different variety of sources especially primary sources right for us history people yeah oh yeah you know we're if we're looking at newspaper articles or if we're looking at cartoons if we're looking at uh, letters or uh, poems or anything along those lines we can still as teachers look at those uh, different sources and then connect them to um, that of certain event or that uh, idea that was being discussed at that time period.
0: And one thing, you know, a lot of textbooks do do, re- I'm sorry, they do really well is they provide ways for teachers to go further in a different direction. And I don't think this is something we utilize that much because of the connotation that kind of comes along with them. But think about a science textbook, you're looking through biology, teaching a concept about proteins, boom, textbook's going to have some kind of way that the teacher can connect that and create a higher-level discussion about that topic that applies maybe to the students' lives in a different way than just the standard text might.
1: I agree, too. So as we're starting to wrap up, what do you think are, is the biggest takeaway that we can uh, think about as teachers when it comes to textbooks?
0: You know, I think in education we, we tend to, you know, there, this happens for a lot of disciplines and things in life, but it tends to operate on a pendulum. You know, like maybe we're, we're, we're textbooks, we swing all the way in favor of textbooks and then in order to correct we swing violently in the other direction. And I don't want to throw out all of our textbooks, right, I don't, I don't think that's, that's useful. Uh, they provide a good resource, you know, if a student is absent or out ill for several weeks giving them a textbook will help provide structure for their learning outside of the classroom, you know. I think it just needs to be used as a tool use responsibly, you know, everything in life in moderation, you know what I mean? Um, And I think if it's used responsibly, it can be good in supplementing student learning. But kind of going back to that pendulum, if we, let's not swing violently away or all the way through for textbooks. There's a nice medium here in the middle um, that I think we can use them in the best way possible.
1: Yes, and uh, to add on to that a little bit more, it is important that uh, we do use textbooks. Again, this is a way for, as teachers, after maybe it's been a full year since you've taught a unit, mm-hmm. uh, th- maybe look back to the textbook and highlight uh, those different uh, points of emphasis uh, with the content and maybe make sure that it aligns with uh, the standards that you need to uh, teach in that curriculum framework. Or, again, using that teacher version to think about different uh, questions that you can ask students, or even uh, having them look at maybe just a page or just a short segment for a warm up, and then yeah. uh, using that to further build upon the lesson that you want to do for that. Day. yeah absolutely um, I, u-
0: I use the textbook in the course i'm teaching now i'm teaching government right now and i use it all the time to draw connections between content in the in the lesson and through the constitution and we can refer back to the constitution at the beginning of the textbook and it provides really good connections i use it all the time mm-hmm. it just needs to be used responsibly yeah
1: responsibly and moderation are the two keywords i really liked in our conversation today yeah
0: absolutely absolutely so guys for all our listeners out there, thank you for listening to our podcast today. We want to continue the conversation Alex and I had today through social media. Uh, you can connect with us on the Two Coffee Teachers Facebook group, or you can follow us on Twitter at number two coffee teachers. All right. You can follow us there and you can join us on Facebook. You can even leave us a voicemail for our next episode, maybe some questions, comments, concerns, or if you want to be on the show, give us a shout out at four four three three hundred eighty-nine oh eight.
1: It would also be a huge help to us if you could rate us on iTunes because this is the best way to uh, get our podcast out there to other people who may be interested in what we are discussing here and what we are doing uh, with our community uh, full of educators. So thank you so much for being a part of the Two Coffee Teacher podcast. Keep up the hard work in the classroom as we're coming down the home stretch of this school year. Mm -hmm. Uh, Make sure you're doing that without that second cup of coffee. Bye, guys.
0: The sweet sun pouring down in the strawberry sky Tall grass dancing down by the St. John's Riverside And I can see Maggie running through the fields full of wild